This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Gustav Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. It is fantasy hockey playoffs time. Everything else that happens here hasn't mattered. It's all about now, and we're going to talk about everything that's important. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. What a week it's been, Elon. We have a whole different fantasy landscape in front of us. You and I personally missed the opportunity last week to point out we were both knocked out of the cupful in the first round of playoffs in our divisions. But I think I, I just want to point out, like, that is a testament to the quality of competition in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fan Tracks League amongst our patrons and listeners. They really brought it. They got us. Looking forward to next season already. And Elon, I think there's going to be a really interesting dynamic this week because we're in the playoffs in one pool together. We're entering the playoffs as co-owners of a team. And in another pool, we're entering the playoffs as opposing owners. I don't think we're going to match up in the first week, but still, I just wonder if you're going to be completely and utterly honest and thorough with me this week. Oh, come on. I, I put in to the notes that I shared with you last night one of the names of the guys that you added in that league this morning, oh, Jake Kinsel. Yeah. But did you share the doc with me before I, I added him? I shared the doc before I went to bed last night, Brian. So you could trust me. I'm going to be completely forthright. You know what? Your team doesn't concern me, but okay. Yeah, but clearly like this episode is going to be, it's not a little different. Like same general stuff. We're going to talk about injuries and outjuries and hot streaks and cold streaks. But I think we're starting to change our focus a little bit. It's no longer about, oh, this guy's slumping, but you know, give him a few weeks. He'll probably be fine. You know, he just has to find his footing, whatever. Like we don't have time. People need to win literally this week or they're out. So we're going to be trying to give you advice right now we're not talking about dynasty leagues this week you know we're talking about players who are going to help you or hurt you in your fantasy matchups for this week in your playoffs so hopefully this will be a valuable episode i've got a ton of players i plan to bring up before we get into them let's of course mention that we are presented by dobberhockey.com if you're in your fantasy hockey playoffs you need to be checking out dobberhockey.com pretty much every day read the daily ramblings they're going to have their own tips every day of players that you should have on your radar for the short term also you just need to use all the tools there like the line combinations the starting goalies there's going to be a lot of players we're going to be talking about who i like because they're on their team's first line and as soon as they're off the first line i'd have no interest at all so you definitely need to be following the line combinations every day at dauberhockey.com yeah and that's the thing with dauberhockey right you listen to us for your weekly fantasy fix but you're getting it daily 
over at DauberHockey.com. I know I've seen a couple guys spotlighted in the ramblings over the course of this week that we're going to dig in a little further on in this show. So it's a great, uh, great way to stay on top of everything through every single day of the week over at DauberHockey.com. Okay, let's get started. I want to start with a couple of outjuries, Brian. Let's go to Detroit, who's actually playing right now against the Rangers. So maybe we could follow along as we talk about them with the score today. It's currently 1-1 in the first. But yeah, big outjury there. Jimmy Howard finally returned from his knee injury. He had been out since December 20th. He'd been out a long time. And if you recall, he even had an injury before that. But he had a great return against Chicago on Friday. He stopped 24 of 26 shots. Detroit got the 4-2 win. And Detroit doesn't win all too often. So maybe Jimmy Howard being back is going to help the team. I'm actually surprised that Peter Morazic got the game today against the Rangers. Why not put Howard back in there? Maybe they're easing him back in. Who knows? But anyways, now that Howard's back, like it's official. Jared Corot has been sent down. It's going to be Howard and Morazic fighting for the Detroit net for the rest of the season. I'm curious to know, Brian, am I allowed to share Jimmy Howard's stats for the season? I know you sometimes get annoyed at me when I share stats that include like before a player got injured and you say that we have to start from a clean slate. But I mean, come on. He's had such a great year. Please let me showcase it. Showcase. So this is different. This is different than the other time. I know what you're talking about. This is different. Go for it. Okay, so Jimmy Howard's been having an amazing season. So he's only played 18 games, but in those 18 games, only six wins. So far, that doesn't sound so good, right? But a 934 save percentage and a 1.96 goals against average, and usually a goals against average under two is like very unlikely, very hard to get. Like if you compare that with Peter Morazic's dismal season, 42 games and 15 wins, but a 901 save percentage and a 299 goals against average. So we're talking a whole goal difference per game in goals against average and like 30 save percentage points. Morazic is below 903 save percentage in each of his last four games. He was on a decent run before that, but he slumped right before Howard came back, which makes me think, should we assume it's Howard's net now at this point, even though Morazic is playing today? Like that kind of threw me off a little bit, but I kind of feel like Jimmy Howard should be the starter. They should let him continue his amazing season. He's clearly healthy. He had that great game against Chicago. Why would Detroit not run with him? I feel like if Howard is a free agent in your league, you really need to add him right now. Like He's just had a career year, clearly one of the top goalies in the league this year in terms of save percentage. I guess it obviously depends where you want to break it off. If you want to count his 18 games as enough games played to earn his ranking. But yeah, I'm curious to know, Brian, is there any reason to expect that they're going to split games or do people need to add Jimmy Howard ASAP? People need to add Jimmy Howard ASAP. And you haven't heard me say that for like a full calendar year, at least. And if, if you need any more convincing, he played very well in his conditioning stint, too, in Grand Rapids as he made his return finally to the lineup. That number one job seems wide open. There's a vacuum there. Like you said, Elon Morazic has had a rough season. He had a good little four-game run in mid-February, but has once again struggled. It's been a brutal, brutal year for him. Quality starts just 44% of the time, which is about 10% below league average. It's also about 15% less then Peter Morazic's career quality start percentage. So, of course, in the offseason, we're going to start trying to figure out if it's a blip or a longer-term trend. And I don't know that we'll get a chance to find out with the games remaining this year because I think Howard should have the net. The question is, like, with Morazic starting now, Elon, I think your rest, like, easing Howard into it is the best possible theory because in the past, we've also noted Detroit's reluctance to move on from Howard even when Morazic was playing better. So now with the numbers actually in Howard's favor, it's weird that they're turning to Morazic, and I don't know that they're going to do it too often if Howard is 100% healthy. My curiosity is which guy they're going to protect in expansion. I don't know if we'll ever find out if the expansion lists are kept private because I imagine Vegas is going to have better options than either of them available. 
Hmm, I wonder, like going into the year, if we would have said that Morazic would have been available for Vegas, it would seem like a slam dunk for them to take him as their future starting goalie for like years to come. But yeah, he's had a really bad year. Howard has been good. It'll be interesting to see, but we'll talk about that in the summer. Brian, we've been getting a lot of questions about people asking, should they pick up Jimmy Howard? And there's been a few goalie names that have sort of come up. I feel like all of the questions have been about Jimmy Howard, Steve Mason, James Reimer. It's been some combination of the three and actually Ranta now. And we'll get to him a little bit later because Lung is injured spoiler alert for those who haven't been following any hockey news this week by the way in case you're like waiting till the show to tell you who you should be adding like spoiler add anti-ranta like right away because Lungfist is gonna be out for a while but we'll get to that again later but yeah between like steve mason jimmy howard and james reimer three guys who have been in and out of free agency in a lot of our leagues all throughout the year right now you have to pick one to go with for your fantasy hockey playoffs who would you want between the three so normally I would say that Reimer is a good goalie and he's on the better team of all three of those guys. But Florida has lost eight of their last nine. And the one game they won, it was Luongo who picked up the win. Reimer is personally winless in six, though he has turned in at least three very win-worthy performances in that stretch. So that sort of complicates things for me being able to just say James Reimer because he's at least a league average goalie on a team that's way better than the others. So which one do I want the most? Well, Reimer is still the only one you can count on starting every game for the next week or two. So that works in his favor. He's also on the best team despite Florida's slide. It's not going to last forever. And you look at Philadelphia and Detroit, they're not exactly tearing up the league themselves. So yeah, I'll go Reimer. And then it's probably even between Mason and Howard. Mason, by the way, 3-1-1 one, one with a 949 save percentage in his last five games. Yet the Flyers still turned to Michael Neuverth recently, who is a well-deserved 888 on the air and that number reflects his play recently and over the course of the season and then you have Detroit doing the same and turning to Howard when Mrazek was playing better and now you wonder if they're going to handle things in a similar like I don't know both these teams what I'm trying to say is they don't seem to be consistent or rational in the goaltending decisions we've seen them make over the last couple years I think Mason is the better goalie but Howard could get more starts so rank that for whether you're looking for quantity or quality for what it's worth. Elon, I have a feeling you would put Howard above Mason. I would actually, I'm kind of leaning taking Howard above Mason and uh, James Reimer right now. I don't know if that's a very hot take. I just feel like with the save percentage that Jimmy Howard is putting up this year, even if he doesn't get all the games, he's the one that seems like you could rely on to not blow up your stats and maybe even give you the highest chance of a shutout. Like, I don't know. I'd love it if Jimmy Howard was playing today so we could get a little bit more information. I guess we'll have to see. Also, Brian, I want to ask, what do you have against Michael Neuverth? He has an 888 save percentage, which is not good. Why do you say it's well-deserved? Like, that's what it is. That's so mean. What did he do to you that he deserves such a bad save percentage? He supplanted Steve Mason, sort of. He's taking playing time away from my Steve Mason. And Elon, (laughs) you say Jimmy Howard is less likely to blow up your stats. And you're saying this, like, I'm just going to remind everyone, He's made 18 appearances this season with a 9.34 save percentage over his last 140-something appearances. He's had roughly a 9.08, 9.09 save percentage. So I get your excitement, Elon, and maybe he's found something wonderful in his game as he's about to turn 33 years old. That connects him to when he was playing a little, well, dominantly for a couple of years in the NHL. Maybe you think... He swung back to that. I still don't think he's a totally safe bet. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, if it was such a safe bet, they wouldn't be available in free agency. So, you know, you have to take what you can get. But obviously, Howard's having such a good year. I'd kind of want to ride him until he blows it for me, as opposed to Reimer, who, like you say, is now slumping. I still like James Reimer. It's very disappointing, actually, that Florida is losing so much. They picked up Vanek. They look like they had such a strong top nine. They have this good goaltender, and somehow it's falling apart. Anyway, we're not talking about Florida right now. We're talking about Detroit. And another guy came back for Detroit recently, not because of an outjury, but because he was suspended. Gustav Nyquist was suspended for six games, but he's back. And so far, so good for Gustav Nyquist's return. Top line with Zetterberg and Tatar. He didn't get any points in his ease back game, and he only played 13 minutes and 48 seconds. You can kind of maybe forget that game. But then he scored two goals against Toronto, didn't have anything against Boston, but then he had three assists Friday versus Chicago, and he already has a power play assist today against the Rangers in the first period. So Gustav Nyquist is on a hot streak. He's got now five points in four games since returning, and I say you can even forget about that first game. Ten shots on goal also in that span, so he's putting pucks on net. I feel like he's someone that you should have at the top of your watch list if he's available as a free agent in your league. Like you have Tatar also, who's benefiting from playing with Zetterberg. I feel actually like the real news here is that Henrik Zetterberg is amazing. He's been the superstar Henrik Zetterberg that we've known and loved for the past like five, ten years. And so it's because of that that his line mates are looking so appealing. I think not to, you know, throw shade at Gustav Nyquist, but Zetterberg, he has... 24 points in his last 19 games since January 24th. Like for a couple of months now, he's been over a point per game. That brings Zetterberg up to 55 points in 66 games on the year, which is a 68-point pace, which I think is much higher than we would have expected going into the year. I thought maybe we'd be lucky to get a 60-point pace from Zetterberg, not 70. So my question is to you, Brian, I guess our number one, is the old Henrik Zetterberg back? Should we expect a near point-per-game pace through the rest of this season? And then my second question is, if yes, do guys like Nyquist and then maybe Tatar to a lesser extent become the guys you probably want to add while they're playing with this superstar? Do you mean to ask if the young... Zetterberg is back. No, I know exactly what you were saying. Let's remember, by the way, five, 10 years. Let's give the guy credit. He's given us 10, 12 years of primo elite fantasy production. And we thank him very much for that. This year, recently, he's got five goals and 19 assists, 53 shots on goal in roughly 23 games. But you'll notice over the stretch that he's on a very assist heavy, right? 19 out of those 24 points have come by way of assists. And his goal scoring numbers are pretty normal. Five goals, 53 shots. So getting a couple shots a game, 10% shooting success rate. When you look at what's been different during this little run than earlier in the season when he wasn't on this, when he was more at like a 55-point pace, his on-ice shooting percentage at even strength during this streak is pretty high. It's up at 13%, which means that his teammates are doing an unexpectedly good job of finishing on the goals that he is assisting, which has made it a real nice bounce back for Zetterberg after everything really did go to heck for him last year, not just in how he played, but percentages and variance and all the things just did not go in his direction. I think a point per game is too much to expect though from him going forward. He hasn't delivered that for the past two years. He's 36 years old and he's really, you can see he's riding a wave in numbers right now. So I think he should be closer to the 55 point pace that he was on before this run than point per game. Maybe he can push it up to 60. I know that's classic wet blanket action over here. But hey, the optimist in me is still going to say that, yes, whoever is playing with him, like if it's Nyquist, is probably in the best situation they can be while wearing a Detroit jersey. If Henrik is doing a good job of setting up plays that are being finished at a high percentage, then maybe there is a little something more than variance to it. And Elon, before we move off of Detroit, let's note that Anthony Mantha, noticeably absent 
from that line. Scratched today for the second time in a row, while guys like Drew Miller, Riley Sheehan, Luke Glendening, and a guy named Mitch Callahan continue drawing into the lineup. So if you have him on your roster, he's a snoozer while he's scratched, obviously, but he's still good. Like, I don't get any of the thinking behind his being scratched. Once he's back in the lineup, he's still worth a look as an offensive standout on that roster. He's just a guy you really need to keep track of his ice time and actual, like if he does get to play to know how relevant he is to you. Yeah. But of course for a one-year league, unless you're planning on keeping him, there's no reason to be holding Anthony Mantha right now. Like you got to drop him. It's fancy. hockey playoffs time. No time to wait. By the way, Brian, I agree with everything else you said. Maybe, you know, like you're saying like 55, 60 point pace for Zetterberg moving forward. Like I actually didn't think he was going to keep up a point per game pace, but like if he could be on like a 70 point pace, get uh, four points in every five games or so, I think that'd be really good. It seems like you're saying even that's too high. You should expect more like three points every five games, but whatever. That's nitpicking. I think the one thing I really though disagree with is your censorship here. Like go to heck. Have you been spending too much time with kindergarten kids? Probably. Yes. (laughs) And I need to offset your potty mouth. <laughs> Hell? Is that a bad word? That's like a religious word, I thought. I thought that was like a word that people use, you know, when they're very pious. All right. Next time, H-E double hockey sticks. Okay. Yeah, at least that's more relevant. All right. Another outjury. Let's go to Anaheim. Another goalie outjury, actually. John Gibson returned on Friday versus St. Louis after missing six games with a lower body injury. Not the best return for Gibson. He didn't pull a Howard. Anaheim lost 4-3 and Gibson led in four goals on 35 shots for uh, 866 save percentage. But okay, whatever. Like, John Gibson's been having a really good year so far. I wonder, though, Bernier kind of held the fort sort of while Gibson was out. He won four of six games in his last game on Thursday. He shut out Chicago one, nothing making 43 saves. So I know he had a couple bad games in there, but I think overall the Anaheim fans are going to see four wins in six games and think, yeah, Bernier's fine. So I wonder with the year Gibson has been having, I wonder if he has still earned his spot and if his owners don't have to worry about him, like losing games in the fantasy hockey playoffs or, you know, in the short term, he's lost a game. Bernier just had a good game. So maybe next week they go to Bernier first. I'm curious to know what do you think is going to happen in the Anaheim net for the next couple of weeks? I thought your paranoia about John Gibson would have ended when your team that relied on John Gibson was eliminated from the cupful. I see it hasn't. I think it would be cuckoo for that to happen. Like you're here wondering if Bernier is going to take Gibson's job and I'm here wondering why Jonas Enroth didn't get a start and why Bernier started six in a row when Enroth down in the AHL has a 10 and 2 record since joining the San Diego Gulls with a 944 save percentage but yeah not enough to uh to give Randy Carlisle a reason to not start Bernier six straight times and Elon like I get where you're coming from to Bernier's credit he had a few very good starts there specifically that one against Chicago but the usual clunkers came with it as well. I don't think Gibson owners have anything to worry about. At best, Bernier has been nothing more than a paper tiger all season long for that number one position. So rest easy. Why are you making everyone crazy? Maybe Bernier starts like one out of three, one out of four. I can't possibly see it happening more often than that. Okay, you're right. Well, just asking. I don't know. Gibson came back and had a bad game. It's it's scary. But yeah, you're right. He's been having such a great year. We've already talked about it before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in the offseason. We'll probably, well, we'll do our Schmore Goalies episode in the summer where we talk about all of the goalies, but maybe specifically for Gibson. I'd like to know how he ranks in keeper leagues as a goalie moving forward because he really has had a fantastic season. Okay, since we're on Anaheim, let's take a look at their line combinations recently. In their last game, they were rolling a top line of Getzlaff, Raquel, and Patrick Eves, and all three are looking pretty good right now. Like, right? 
Ryan Getzlaff is having another great season. He has 53 points in 61 games. He actually has three goals and eight assists in his last nine games. So 11 points in his last nine. So just another Getzlaff year for Getzlaff. He's getting older, but he doesn't slow down. And so you obviously want the guys playing with him on his line. Eves had a great start on the Ducks. Two goals and two assists in his first four games. He has not put up any points in his last two games, but he's seeing top power play time as well as top line minutes with Ryan Getzlaff. And then Ricard Raquel, someone who we talked about recently on the podcast as slowing down and maybe someone you could finally drop someone who brian i dropped in the league where i'm against you he's been getting points pretty much every second game recently which you would think not so good because you're looking at the scores you have one game with nothing one game with points but those games where he is getting points most of them are multi-point games so he actually has seven points in his last seven games six of them goals actually so raquel is putting goals in the net is he back to being awesome again he also has 21 shots in his last seven games and three shots a game is a really nice pace for him did i make a huge mistake dropping him before the fantasy playoffs for the league where i'm against you luckily you didn't pick him up some other guy picked him up who maybe i'll play and lose to but that doesn't matter i just want to know raquel were we wrong or do you think he's just kind of lucky getting a few more goals than he should based on shooting percentages and things like that i'd be curious to know who you'd want moving forward for the playoffs between ricard raquel and patrick eves Okay, so if we make a prediction based on rational thought and research and whatever we do and our analysis, and then the opposite happens, does that mean that we're wrong or just unlucky? I I don't know. What I'm trying to say is I don't think you made a mistake in dropping him. The production just wasn't there. There was a 30-game stretch where he had just 11 points and 56 shots. But uh, lately, like you said, the shots are creeping back in his game, and that's a very good thing. He's averaging nearly three per game not just in this seven-game scoring run that he's having, but also over another nine games leading up to it. So I could say that six goals on 21 shots is a 29% shooting percentage, and that's unsustainable. That's over the last seven games. But with that whole stretch included, it's a more reasonable number to expect him to shoot and succeed at. He's just finally getting some of what I think he deserves when he started putting more shots on net than he had been in like the 30, 40 games prior. Between him and Eves, well, Eves just has one shot in his last two games. I guess he has better deployment. I think I'll still take Raquel as long as he's shooting. But if he dips back below two shots per game, then back to Eves, I go. Okay, that's fair. And Michael here in the chat is asking, what do we do with Raquel for 2017-18? My answer to you, Michael, is we've got a whole summer series coming up where we'll look at all of the players who did well this year and we'll discuss if we think they'll be able to keep it up or if we think that it was unsustainable production. So don't worry, we'll get to it. But we got to focus on our fantasy hockey playoffs here. And speaking of Anaheim, Sammy Vatanen, we should mention, starting to roll a bit recently. He has a goal and three assists in his last five games and 20 shots in that span, which is really good for a defenseman especially. He's still a top power play D-man. I think a lot of people have given up on him. Brian, I know you had given up on him, or at least I believe you said so on the podcast that people might want to move on from him depending on who's available. I would think at this point probably worth grabbing him again if you can in most leagues if he's available just because he's taking all these shots and actually getting some points. And then another guy I'll mention is Nick Ritchie, who was on a nice run himself recently with a goal and five assists in his last seven games and 18 shots over that span. And like he had three, four shot on goal games, so a couple really big games for him and obviously piling on the hits he was injured he missed the last two games with a neck injury but he's back today so i think those are other guys if they're available in free agency you might want to look at obviously vatanen would only be available in a more shallow league and nick ritchie if it's a deeper league yeah so vatanen is a really pleasant thing to be happening right now for anybody who was just overly patient with him this year or just forgot they had him on their roster and is now reaping 
the benefits. Elon, you mentioned 20 shots over his last five games. That number is buoyed by a seven-shot performance, which is something he doesn't do often. He's only done it twice before in his career, and he last accomplished it at 15 months ago. But that one game is still part of a current string of five consecutive outings where he's taken three shots on goal or more, which is such welcome news for a guy who'd been averaging less than a shot and a half per game, which is down from the somewhere around two shots per game that we'd seen over the last couple of years. One change that actually has aligned with his surge, with his uptick in shots on goal, is that he stopped playing with Cam Fowler for a little bit at even strength, and instead he had Brandon Montour and Kevin Bieksa as his defensive partners, and you can probably connect the dots as to why maybe he would take a few more shots with them as his partner than he would with Cam Fowler. But even as he was back with Fowler last game, he still put three shots on net. So that's good. Uh, This has been a really bad season for him. Beyond the decline we saw in his shot rates going into the year, his shooting percentage and even strength and on the power play, everything has dropped along with his IPP too. So this is a nice little ray of sunshine for anyone who's stuck with him. And I hope it continues. I think he's a really talented defenseman. And I'm really excited to see if he can keep shooting and keep getting power play time, then he can still hopefully produce at a 40-point pace the rest of the way. One other outjury I'll just mention, Alex Radulov is back today. I don't know what there is to say, except for it's nice that he's back. Because for a while, we didn't know how long he was going to be out. It seemed like the injury was just lingering. But he's back. Uh, We're halfway through the game against Edmonton. Edmonton is winning 1-0, so definitely no points for Radulov. And I'm taking a deeper look here. He's got two shots. He's got a good amount of ice time. Doesn't look like he's being eased in. He has among the most ice time of all the forwards. He's getting power play time. So it'll be maybe next week we'll talk about Radulov because I know he was slumping a lot before the injury and we'll have to see. I guess got to hold on to him at least for now. If you've held him this long through his injury, then you might as well now hold him for his games this week and then we could reassess next week if he's worth carrying all throughout your playoffs, even in shallow leagues. Brian, let's switch over to some injuries. We've got to start with the big one I hinted about earlier. Henrik Lundqvist has a muscle strain in his hip, which will keep him out of action likely through the end of March, which means likely through the remainder of most people's fantasy hockey playoffs, which is a bummer. I guess, because you drafted Henrik Lundqvist very high, of course, but maybe it's not such a bummer because it's not like he's been so great for you. He like If he doesn't play anymore this season, he'll end with a 9-13 save percentage. That is just unbelievable in a bad way for Henrik Lundqvist because he's been over a 9-20 save percentage every single season of his career since 2009-2010. Like He's always been so much better. So this has been such a huge dip this year. It'll be very interesting to decide for people whether to keep him in keeper leagues next year. Like I feel like a lot of people who have him have been keeping him for a while. He's still a number one goalie on a great team, I would think, for next year. But anyways, we're not going to talk about keeper leagues now. He's another guy we'll definitely have to talk about over the summer. But anyway, the obvious takeaway is you have to add anti-ranta right now. If you haven't added him already, it's probably too late. But if for some reason he's available, I like him personally above the options of Reimer and Howard and uh, whoever, Steve Mason, just because the Rangers are a really good team. And Ranta's had a really good year himself. He has a 922 save percentage in 23 games. There was even a stretch a while back where it looked like he was maybe stealing some starts from Lundqvist. That didn't last. But, you know, now he gets his opportunity to get those starts. The Rangers have called up Magnus Helberg, but we'll see if Helberg even gets in the net. I think I saw something on Roto World that even though they have a couple of back-to-backs coming up, the coach said he might even just keep Ranta in for all the games, depending on how things go. So I think you've got to have him in your net. I'd be curious to know, Brian, do you agree with me that anti-Ranta is the best option of that group from before of Mason, Howard, and Reimer, if you could only roll one for your fantasy playoffs? Well, first off, Elon, I try to be so careful with my language, and there you are just spouting off about the latest call-up for the Rangers. 
Magnus H-E double hockey sticks. Oh my there. gosh. <laughs> uh, okay, so Ranta, yeah, no, I agree. He is the most solid starting position out of all those guys. Like he's the only one you can count on to be able to start all the games. I don't see Heckberg getting a ton of action. Uh, let's, by the way, just feel sorry no. for a moment. We're <laughs> not calling him that. Let's just take a moment to empathize with the Lundqvist owners, though. He had finally put together a decent little run after a wildly inconsistent season. Although he was still inconsistent, he still had a 931 over his last 14 games. Uh, he swung back and forth so often this year between fantastic starts and awful starts with so little in between or average type outings. He's either making your week or breaking your week. You know, I figured he'd get some substantial rest down the stretch anyway. So I almost wonder if this is a blessing in disguise for Lungfist owners because now that gray area where they don't know if they're going to need to get that Ranta handcuff, it's gone. They know they need Ranta so they can grab him and not worry too much about missing out on any Rangers starts down the stretch. So yeah, Brian, I'm seeing some interesting things here in the chat room. As you were talking, Michael's pointing out that he saw an article by Ian Gooding over on Dauber, maybe it was the Daily Ramblings, saying that a concern maybe with the Rangers is they have a really tough schedule coming up. Michael's saying here that between March 27th and April 9th, the Rangers play San Jose, Pittsburgh, twice, Philly, Washington, and Ottawa. So yeah, that could be concerning. I guess when you're looking to add a goal, you have to look at their schedule. I think I saw somewhere else that Detroit has a very friendly schedule. So yeah, take a look at that too. If you're deciding between a bunch of different goalies, and obviously how many games you'd be able to get from the goalies you pick up based on the other guys you have. So that's a concern, but also March 27th, April 9th. Eh, so at least you can have Ranta for the first week of your fantasy hockey playoffs. If they start next week and then reassess from there. Yeah. And I'll also say, even if their schedule is tough, the Rangers are pretty good team. You look at the Eastern conference and who has really convincing goal differentials. You've got the four top Metro teams and that's about it. You've got Ottawa and Montreal hanging in the Atlantic with barely good ones. Boston's is actually a little better. And then there's, I think there are a couple teams who are like right about even, and then the rest are like minus 25 or worse. So uh, I'm a believer in the Rangers, even in a difficult start. I might prefer Ranta to say, I don't know, someone like Hellebuck in a start that is like of medium difficulty. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, by the way, the Rangers are up three to one right now against Detroit. Why did they play Peter Morazic? I don't know. But anyway, I wanted to mention a couple other Rangers players. None of the guys I was planning on mentioning are showing up on the score sheet so far. But I want to say Mika Zibanejad, we talked about how he had really slowed down. But, you know, maybe he's waking up. He had two goals versus Carolina, and that makes three in his last three games. He's also put up three shots in goal in each of his last couple of games. And he's on the top power play with Kreider, Zuccarello, Stepan, and McDonough. I think before Zibanejad was on the second power play unit. So I would say that Zibanejad, I don't know, like it's not as if he's like totally breaking out. Like I'm telling you like a couple goals over the past week. But considering we were just saying that maybe it's time to let him go. Now I think maybe he's someone that you might want to look at if other people have let go, if he fits nicely into your schedule. And I'll also mention that Rick Nash and Michael Grabner were both injured for a few games and they're both back today. Grabner actually has an assist. Oh, he has two assists. So yeah, that's good. I would have maybe said that with Grabner and Nash injured, that really didn't leave Kevin Hayes with anyone good to play with. But now Hayes is probably back on a line with JT Miller and, and Grabner. And, and look at that. Hayes has a goal and an assist himself. So, you know, these New York Rangers outjuries are good for a lot of forwards on the team. Look at that. Right up to the date analysis and insight from the one and only Elon Dabrowski. I have nothing to add. I guess I okay. just agree with you. That, okay. that was me saying good job. 
Okay, so let's go to another team and a slew of injuries. We have to go to Pittsburgh, who seems to be going through their annual stretch of just everyone being injured. Latang is still out for gosh knows how long uh, Patrick Horgfist has a concussion now. Uh, Carl Hagelin is going to be out for a month, apparently. They're also without some minor pieces like Cullen and Mata and Rust and Daly. They still handily beat Vancouver 3-0 yesterday. So, you know, obviously not the toughest competition, but I still think even with all these injuries, they can still be okay. Like, I wouldn't be too worried as a Matt Murray owner. Brian, you could let me know if you disagree about that. But, you know, we talk about Pittsburgh all the time. Maybe we don't need to dive too deeply into them, but got to mention the lines with all of these injuries. Last night, they were going Crosby, Shiri, and Gensel, and then Kessel, Kunitz, and Malkin, and then like a bunch of nobodies in the bottom six. You know, with all these injuries, you don't have room for a top nine like they usually do. Kunitz is actually on the top power play in Hornquist's spot, so that's good for him. But I think really Kunitz would be the guy I'd want third between the guys who could potentially be free agents in your league. Actually, and Shiri, you know, I was going to say Shiri, but no, Shiri is the best, right? He's for sure owned in all leagues right now. Such a good year. It'll be really fun over the summer to talk about how highly we'll rank it for next year. But I think the guy you've got to add now is Jake Gensel. If he's going to stick on that top line with Sidney Crosby, and it looks like at least for the short term, he's going to be there. You've got to grab him. He's doing so well. He had a goal and assist yesterday. He has four goals and three assists in his last eight games. He's averaging around three shots a game lately. Playing with Crosby. He even gets some hits for you. Really, there's no reason to leave Jake Gensel in free agency right now, especially with Hornquist injured. Yeah, I just picked him up in the pool in which we are foes this morning, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. I dropped Patrick Maroon for him, which I think might be a reasonably fair comparable. Like Gensel is somebody who, when you know he's playing with Crosby and he's making the most of it, uh, he's getting good production, handfuls of shots, one or two hits per game. So uh, if you have Patrick Maroon on your roster, that's a switch you can make if Gensel's available and not lose out on the hits that I'm guessing you were hoping for when you added Maroon. And yeah, Gensel's giving us like Shiri-like production. Okay, well, why don't we, before we get to some of the other injuries I wanted to talk about, and then we also have a bunch of hot streaks and cold streaks for you. We got a lot of content left. Before we get to it, let's thank the sponsor for this episode of Keeping Carlson. Those are our friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest way to get hockey tickets this season. And not only hockey tickets, you can get tickets for anything on SeatGeek. Anywhere you are in the world, you take out your phone with a couple of taps, you can instantly find seats for this weekend or for any game this season or concert or show. You can buy tickets for WrestleMania. I just searched for WrestleMania and there are like a ton of different events around WrestleMania. You get tickets for all of them. But it's really neat. Like you look at this UI, it's listing for me here, all the great deals. WrestleMania is in Orlando, by the way. So if anyone is around there or wants to go on a trip, they list like, here are the tickets that are the best deals then right under it here are the tickets that are good deals and you know and they're all different prices but obviously it's relative to where you're sitting so they really break it down for you you can decide for your budget try to get the best deal for your seat it's a really well done site also i really love how there's no hidden fees so it tells you what the final price is going to be before you like go all the way to checkout and then find out there's like a 50 dollar delivery fee or service charge or whatever so you got to check it out seeking and if you think that the prices are still not cheap enough for you. How about a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase? Brian, tell our listeners how they can get that. Yeah, all you need to do is download the app or go to the website, make an account, enter the promo code KEEPING, make a purchase, and then you will receive a $20 check as a thank you from us and SeatGeek for making a purchase with them. Again, download the app or go to the website, make an account, and enter the promo code KEEPING for a $20 rebate. Wow. Seat geek. <laughs> Be a geek. 
get a seat. Brian, I'm going to do something unorthodox here. I'm going to jump a little further in the dock because we have a question here in the chat room from Garrett. Thanks for joining us, Garrett. And he just asked, drop sad for Jordan Stahl. Carolina plays five games next week. And I was about to type a response. I even started writing a response. And now I'm thinking, I'm doing a live show. Why don't I respond live? Because I really want to talk about this Carolina five-game schedule next week. I think that's on a lot of people's minds. So let's just go there. Then we'll get back to the injuries afterwards. But when you see a team playing five games, like, oh, man, I can get five games from one guy versus only like three games from someone else. And like we're talking here about specifically Brandon Saad, Columbus plays four times next week. So you think, okay, I can get one extra game if I have the Carolina guy. But don't forget people, fine listeners, that you have to look a little bit deeper than that. So just a general thing about this five-game schedule for Carolina before we get into their specific players. You got to see, first of all, how many of these games from Jordan Stahl would you actually get in your lineup? Like You have to look at on the days that he plays, do you already have a full lineup and he would just be on your bench, assuming he's your bottom guy, which I guess he would be. Because like if you look at the schedule, five games, but it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So Monday's a busy day. Thursday's a busy day. There's a lot of games for both of those days. And as opposed to someone like like Brandon Saad, Columbus plays Monday and then Saturday. Okay, so actually Columbus plays the same days, except just not Tuesday. But if you look at someone on like Pittsburgh who plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, or Calgary, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, you might actually get more games out of the four-game Calgary schedule versus the five-game Carolina schedule. So you got to look at the schedule and not just look at like the number of games overall. But anyways, okay, back to Carolina. Assuming you could get a maximum value out of the five games for the Hurricanes. A lot of people have been asking on our Facebook group, who do I want on the Carolina Hurricanes if I'm going to pick one or two of these guys up for their big week? So let's take a look at what the lines are that they've been running. They've been going Skinner, Lindholm, and Rask, and then Aho, Teravainen, and Stahl. So Victor Rask, he has two goals and five assists in his last nine games, so seven points in nine games. That's back to his early season form, right? He was putting up near point per game early on in the year, and he was basically a must-add in most leagues. But since then, he's cooled off, and he's been dropped in a lot of leagues. He's available, Brian, and I think all of the leagues that I'm in and the one that I'm with you and the one that I'm against you. <laughs> Elias Lindholm has sort of gone hot and cold. Like He had two straight games with an assist, but then he had three pointless games before that. So it's hard to say he's on a run right now, but he's still playing big minutes and he's on a decent line right with Victor Rask and Jeff Skinner. So I would expect let's say three points in five games from Elias Lindholm, if I had to call it for him right now. Then you have Sebastian Ajo, the rookie, who's quietly having a nice season, and he had a big two-goal, one-assist game versus the Rangers on Thursday. He also has 10 shots in his last two games, so if your league counts shots, he's helping you a lot there. Tara Vinen has five points in his last seven, so, you know, it's not an easy choice. All of these Carolina guys, all of whom are available, actually, Brian, in, like, all the both of the leagues that I'm still in, so this is a decision that I could be making as well. Like, I'd be curious so do you have a favorite of these guys I've mentioned? Like, basically, I'll assume all of these guys but Skinner are available in a lot of leagues. Jeff Skinner's probably owned already, so we could forget about him. But, like, Victor in our Facebook group, he wants a ranking. So I'm talking, like, Lindholm, Rask, Aho, Tara Vinen, Jordan Stahl. Who do you like the most? Who do you like the least? Like, let, let us know what you think. This group of Carolina forwards, this is, like, the hundredth time that we're trying to rank them and figure out. And one thing they've shown us is that sometimes they're hot and sometimes they're not. And it's hard to know when it's going to start or end. So I think I'm going to try and answer by saying I enjoy watching Aho the most. Like, I think he's really skilled. And of all the players on the team that you just mentioned, he probably has the best upside in the future. I know we're just talking about the near future, though. Um, His shots on goal sure make me swoon. So maybe he still is my preference. And then I'd probably go, you know, I said Rask next because he's heating up. But Lindholm is the more even keel guy, even though he does go cold completely sometimes. I think, okay, you're asking me to commit. 
I'll go Aho, Rask, Lindholm, Teravainen. And like, they're all so interchangeable though. Like it's going to be really hard to get right. If I do, I hope you'll give me a good pat on the back for it, but I'm pretty sure I won't. Like this is my, what's your preference? Yeah, I, honestly, like I wrote the question, but I never actually came up with my own answer. I agree with you. It could really go either way between those four. I think I'd take Jordan Stahl last just because, I don't even know. And he could also be first. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all, but I don't know. I, I don't think I'd have Aho first. I think I'd go with the guys playing with Jeff Skinner. I'd go with Victor Rask, then Elias Lindholm, then Aho, Teravine and Jordan Stahl. I think that's going to be my order. I feel like Victor Rask is just someone who overall has had a really good year and he had that great run at the beginning and I'm happy to see him back on a good line and on a nice run right now. So he's the one I like, but like, like you say, like who knows? There's also a couple of defensemen that might be available to you. Like pretty much everyone on Carolina is available in all the leagues I'm seeing, except for Justin Falk and Jeff Skinner. And even the goalies are usually available in a lot of leagues. But anyways, like there's guys like Slavin and Pesci who are always floating around for people who need defensemen. Brian, we need a defenseman for early next week in our joint league. I was thinking that Slavin might be a good guy to add who's been having a, you know, average season, but he gets points, you know, every like maybe like a 30, 35 point pace, like a good chance at least in the first couple of days of the week, he could get one point, which would be nice. Like, what do you think of these guys? any reason to expect them to do anything special or is it just like at at this point look at their season pace and whatever they've done so far expect them to keep up that pace for the next week or two i think that's all i can advise and also check to see if they're offering you the peripherals you're looking for i know both the defensemen you've mentioned have had little runs where they've blocked and other runs where they haven't and uh yeah Carolina is like a team where I'm kind of just throwing my hands in the air. I give up. I don't know when they're going to score goals. I don't know if they're going to score goals. I don't know who's going to score the goals. They're a very evenly distributed team. And also, I always think of Professor Frank when I see uh, Slavin's name. It just looks like his, his catchphrase. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I won't respond to that. Obviously, you're also going to be seeing some games from your favorite goalie, Eddie Lack, this week. I doubt they're going to be putting Cam Ward in for five games. So maybe some good spot start opportunities if you want to really roll the dice. Let's go back to the injuries now. I wanted to mention Aaron Ekblad, who looks to have suffered a concussion yesterday. I'm not sure if anything came up today to like confirm or deny that. I know he was going through the concussion protocol. It's always tough to predict how long someone will be out with an injury like this. But let's just talk about Ekblad overall at this point. He's having such a weird season, only 21 points in 67 games, which would be like a huge disappointment. But he has 223 shots, which puts him second for all defensemen in the league, only behind Brent Burns and ninth overall in the league for shots. So if you just told me that at the beginning of the year, that Aaron Ekblad was going to be ninth in the league for shots, I'd be like, oh man, I'm going to bump him up my draft list. And I would be very shocked to find out that he has hardly any points, like hardly any goals, like nine goals, I think. So assuming he comes back, because now some people have some tough decisions to make. He's not on IR yet. If you're in a one-year league, do you hang on to a guy like this and try to wait out his injury for a bit? Or do you have to just cut bait because you don't know how long he'll be out? Like, is there any reason to expect more points for Ekbad when he's back and then also say next season to go along with all these shots on goal or is he just one of these guys that's going to take a lot of shots but maybe he's only going to be like a 30 point pace 35 point pace defenseman which would actually be good for him compared to his number so far this year just to remind everyone it wasn't always this way that his shots were looking like this it's been such an exciting thing and was so exciting at the start of the year to see his shot rates rise so dramatically like the improvement over the last couple years is really substantial Unfortunately, all of that is sunk by an on-ice shooting percentage below 5%, which has been one of the key reasons why he has not been able to put up the points we would have hoped for and expected. You can reasonably hope for things to change when Ekblad comes back from the injury, but only in the same way that you could have hoped 
things would change for the better for him all season long. So I don't know that like anything special is going to click when he returns healthy again. It's just like we're waiting. We're waiting. We're seeing all the shots. We know something's got to give. When will it give is the big question. I think eventually. But remember, we've pointed out before that he might not be a Victor Hedman type who's going to get 50 points during a season. He might just get 35, 40 points while playing a sound game, taking many, many shots on goal. We'll update that over the course of his career, of course. If you are looking to replace some of the shots on goal, by the way, Elon, I know you're going to hate this because it's a barely relevant suggestion, but maybe you can have a look at Michael Matheson, who was getting a lot of hype earlier this season as someone who might be able to step right in on the top power play in his first season with the team and put up points. He hasn't done that, but he has steadily put up nearly three shots per game. Unfortunately, yeah, that's all he does. He's pointless in his last 16. He does have 44 shots in that span, which is more than a lot of forwards, but of course no points and no peripheral help either aside from shots. So uh, I just thought I'd mention Michael Matheson. Yeah, why not? And, you know, I would have thought maybe Matheson would be the guy to take over from Ekblad, at least on the second power play unit. But actually yesterday, Jason Demers took over that spot. I mean, though, it's hard to recommend a guy who doesn't have a point since February 3rd. So maybe I would still take Matheson over Demers if you're looking that deep. It's funny how in the chat room here, people are pointing out Michael saying that I said Ekblad instead of Ekblad. And maybe that was a Freudian slip. Maybe it was. Maybe that's a good episode title, though. I guess it would be a little mean, though. His point totals are definitely Ekbad, but those shot totals are so ek good uh since we're on florida we might as well do a quick summary of what's going on there like you said they've lost five games in a row and eight of their last nine lots of one and two goal games so coach tom Rowe has of course been shaking up the lines trying to get some offense out of this team and here's what they looked like yesterday who knows how long this will last but definitely a shake up we're so used to seeing barkov yager and huberdo on line one and then smith Trocheck and Jokin in on line two, but it's it's all throw throw that all out the window because last game we were seeing Barkov with Yager and Riley Smith, which kind of seems like a good situation for Riley Smith playing with Barkov. Uh, then Huberdo with Marcheso and Trocheck, and then Bjugstad with Sevier and Vanek, and then way down on line four you see Jokin in with McKenzie and Malgin. So obviously a huge hit for UC Jokin and also not great for Thomas Vanek who can't crack the top six after he was like the leading scorer on Detroit for most of the year. I think neither of those guys should be owned at this point in most leagues until at least the next shakeup happens. It's nice to see Marcia so back in the top six. He has three points in his last four games and he's still on the top power play with Barkov, Yager, Huberdo and Yandel. So it's a nice spot for Marcia so playing with Trocek who by the way is still keeping his good season going. Like nothing wrong with him even though the offense has dried up. Yager is a guy who was doing absolutely nothing and I think a lot of people dropped him. Brian, we dropped him in our joint league uh, but now he scored two goals in two straight games, like one goal in each game for two games in a row. So all of a sudden, Yager maybe is heating up. Maybe two games is too short of a span to get excited about. Florida plays four games next week, though. So maybe he's someone to look at if he's been dropped. Uh, like, I don't know. I guess I'm just sort of giving a summary. I don't really have a question. Like, assuming, let's say, Barkov, Huberdo, and Trocek are owned, I think that's fair that those three guys are owned in most leagues. Who do you like the best of the remaining forwards on Florida for the rest of the season? So I guess you're picking between Riley Smith, Marcia So and then Vanek and Jokinen. I'd be curious to know, who do you take of that group? Oh, and Yager. Yeah, so I just dropped Yager, so you're welcome to everyone who's been more patient, although I was incredibly patient. He'd done nothing for so long. Uh, anyway, good for him. Uh, Marcia So has done a really good job of keeping relevant during all like the fluctuations in the roster this year and all the times that we thought he was finished. He's always been able to make his way back, and I think that speaks to what he's been able to offer his team and show his coaches. So he'd probably be my next pick. Uh, at the bottom end, Elon, I agree with you that Jokinen and Vonick, they can be like go of 
give them up to free agency in most formats. And Yager, again, like he's had such good deployment, but has done so little with it. And when the points aren't there, he isn't getting a ton of shots or anything else either that might help you uh, in your format. And then Riley Smith is the dark horse, I think, to help you here and there. In his past 16 games, he has 11 points, a goal and 10 assists, 30 shots, two power play points. I might prefer him to Yager, though Yager's deployment really should be helping him net as good or better results than Smith. And it looks like he might be getting back on track. So I think I'll go Marcheseau, then Yager, then Smith, and then nobody else is rosterable. Okay, I... I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to put Yager above Marsha. So I, I, I just have a feeling Yager is going to end the year on a nice run. Hopefully we'll see again. It's, it's like close like the other ones, except for of course, Vanek and Jokinen who lose all their value in the bottom six. Okay. Also some injury trouble in Ottawa. We talk about them a lot. So we could just quickly say actually tourists apparently is going to be back, but Mark Stone had an undisclosed injury, like really came out of nowhere. Like no one mentioned anything about him getting injured in the game, but then afterwards it's like, Oh, Mark Stone might be injured. And now apparently he's undisclosed day-to-day injury, really tough break you know to have like a day-to-day guy that you can't put in your IR if your league doesn't have an IR plus like it, it sucks and going into the fantasy playoffs Mark Stone is not really the type of guy you can drop especially in a keeper league so anyway bad for his owners nothing we could really tell you except there's a lot of unexpected guys chipping in to help the Sens keep their winning streak alive they don't care about these injuries they're up to six wins in a row now after a 4-2 win over Colorado yesterday Alex Burroughs had another multi-point game and he has six points now in six games on the team, Pajot had an assist yesterday, bringing him to a five-game point streak. He's someone that we haven't talked about for a while, but it's nice to see him heating up. If you recall, I think it was last year, or maybe it was already two years ago, but I remember Pajot went on an amazing run at the end of a season. I mean, it helps, by the way, for Pajot that he's been bumped to being playing with Red Hot Mike Hoffman, who's got three goals and eight assists in his last 11 games. So anyways, Brian, I guess sort of the same question I've been asking with a lot of people, because this is the time where we have to decide just for like next week, who do you like between Burroughs, Pajot, and let's say the field as a short-term free agent pickup on Ottawa while Stone and Turris, you know, are out. And like, you know, I guess Turris, like I said, is coming back. But assuming, you know, Hoffman, Stone, Turris, and Eric Carlson aren't available, is it worth looking at an Alex Burroughs who keeps putting up points? I know you said that Burroughs, you don't expect him to keep it up, but he did have another good game. And Pajot, who's on this big point streak, what do you think of these two guys? Pajot is a guy who I've had like on my deep list to touch on on the show for the last couple weeks now. He's a really great category. Filler. Jean-Gabriel Pajot has 21 blocks in his last 13 games, some big shot on goal outings, and had a steady run of two to four shots per game recently. Get some face-off wins too. So if you're in one of those leagues that counts everything or just blocks and face-offs and shots, which a lot of leagues do, uh, he's a valuable forward in that respect, especially while the lineup has been thinned by injury. As for Burroughs, 66% of his points as a senator have come against the Colorado avalanche. So I'm not so sure we can get too excited about his six points in his time with Ottawa because four of them have come against, well, gimme competition pretty much. He does have some hits, so there's some value there, but fewer everything else than Pajot. So I prefer Pajot to Burroughs. And I took a look at Zach Smith, what he's doing lately, and Ryan Dezingle. These are the other guys you look to for depth production on Ottawa, and neither one is doing anything really of note. Lately, so I'd go Pajot, then if you must, Burroughs, and then the field. Okay, well, hopefully some of these other guys we've mentioned are available too, so you don't have to dig that deep. But obviously there are some deep leagues out there. By the way, we've got to mention our show namesake, Eric Carlson. He has five points in his last two games. 
And he's been inching back to the point per game pace that he had last year. He's up to 63 points in 67 games. It was looking like maybe he wasn't going to be the 82 point guy. He was only going to be like a 70 point guy this year. But all of a sudden now, you know, we're getting closer and closer. I think he's going to do it. I, I predict 82 points for Eric Carlson, or maybe I should hedge and say like at least 80. But, you know, he's amazing. Obviously, nothing really to talk about with him. And then I guess we also have to mention on Ottawa, Craig Anderson, 30 games, 21 wins, six wins in a row now, a 930 save percentage on the year. I talked about Jimmy Howard having a great year. You know, there aren't that many goalies who have played, I guess here I have a list of at least 10 games with a higher save percentage than Craig Anderson this year. So maybe, Brian, you would even restrict the list more. But if I just look at any goalies played more than 10 games, that's a higher save percentage than Craig Anderson. The list is Aaron Dell, surprisingly, 935 save percentage, but obviously as a backup. Jimmy Howard at 934. Devin Dubnik at 932, though I wonder if maybe that number has been decreased because I wrote that before today and Dubnik let in two goals on two shots and got pulled today. So I don't know, maybe even now Craig Anderson was going to pull ahead. Then you got Scott Darling, another backup. Then Bobrovsky also has 930. But you know, elite company for Craig Anderson, like more interesting is all the names that I've left out here. Like that means he's ahead of like Carey Price and Braden Holtby and all the guys you would expect to be the best goalies in the league. I wonder if Anderson could be in contention for the Vesna trophy this year, or maybe he's missed too much time. Anyways, that's not fantasy relevant here or there, but definitely for anyone who held on to him while he was away with his, you know, personal reasons, you are benefiting now. And he seems to be like one of the most viable goalies for the fantasy playoffs. Totally. He's been on fire since returning to the team in mid February Anderson has posted a 9-2-0 record with a 941 save percentage. And not only is he at the front of the pack, Elon, of goalies who have played 10 games or more, he's at the front of the pack for goalies who have played 1,500 minutes, which is the equivalent of about 30 games or more. So it's essentially him, Bob, and Dubnik as the only goalies who are 930 and up who have played somewhat significant time this year. But yes, Anderson has only played 30 games. Everyone around him in the top nine in the league this year in save percentage, they've played about 20 more games than him, except Matt Murray, who has played 40 this year, and Kem Talbot, who has played 60. So if Craig Anderson has played 30 and somehow plays each of those Sens remaining 15 games, that only brings him up to 45 games played. And I do think this Vesna question is interesting. Can a goaltender who starts only 45 games, but maybe is top three in the league or nearly leads the league in save percentage, can that goalie win a Vesna trophy? So I looked at past results to find a Vesna winner who played a comparable number of games you need to go all the way back to the 1988-1989 season when Patrick Waugh won his first Vesna title while playing 44 games so that's like 30 years ago now almost otherwise it's pretty much exclusively 55 games and up played for a goalie which by the way Bobrovsky and Dubnik are well on pace for so while Anderson may get outside consideration as a Vesna nominee, I don't think he's got a shot at winning the trophy itself, although his contributions to an Ottawa playoff appearance later this year cannot be understated if it happens. Well, you know, Brian, sometimes it's just an honor to be nominated. So we'll see if Anderson can get there. Uh, some more injuries to talk about. Lots of injuries in Tampa, though. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know if I should be bringing these guys up because they're day-to-day. And who knows, by the time you listen to this episode or by the time Tampa plays their next game, maybe some of them will be back. But let's mention that Johnson, Nemesnikov, and Paquette all went out in the same game. The Obviously, the big hit here is Tyler Johnson, who has been amazing over the past couple of months. He has 20 points in his last 22 games. I'm not even sure if people are realizing how good he's been. So many people 
left him for dead. You know, thought, oh, forget this guy. He had such a slow start to the year, but he's been so good. And obviously that leaves a big hole to fill with Johnson out. You know, that leaves a spot with Kucherov at even strength and on the power play. Their lines yesterday were Kucherov, Palat, and Braden Point. And then Jonathan drew in with Yanni Gourd, who scored his first career goal, by the way, and Alex Killorn on line two. And then the top power play was Druin, Kucherov, Palat, Braden Point, and Victor Hedman. So it looks like Braden Point is the guy that needs to get on our radars, playing on the top line and top power play, at least while Johnson is out with Kucherov and the gang. Of course, his being pointless in six games, including two with Johnson out, makes Braden Point easy to overlook, but still someone I think you should have on your radar. Brian, I'd be curious to know, would you take a flyer on him while he's on the top line and top power play, even though he hasn't been producing lately? Like, it's a fantasy playoffs. Let's say you have a limited number of moves. Do you wait until he does something and then add him? Or then it's like too late, then you missed out. Well, first, let's talk about if you should be interested at all in Braden Point. And if you are interested, strictly from a point-scoring perspective, in Pajot, because he's up playing with Hoffman, then you should be as interested in Point playing with Kucherov. A point, for those unfamiliar, drafted by Tampa in the middle of the third round back in 2014. This is his first pro season, though. We highlighted him a few times earlier in the year when his occasionally interesting deployment and shot tallies caught our eye. And the the scouting report that you see on him over at places like Dauber Prospects is that he's a top six playmaker. And so I think it's reasonable to hope for some good things to happen if he gets to stay in a real good position to succeed for a few games. He's definitely a decent flyer to take in deep leagues. And the fact that he plays back-to-back on Monday or Tuesday, Elon, that makes it a little easier to decide if you want to wait to see what he offers or if you just want to try him out. If you have unlimited moves for the week, then you might as well add him to your roster if you need to fill a spot for Monday, Tuesday, and then make your call from there. Oh, and by the way, uh, before the six-game pointless drought that he's currently in, he had 13 points in 16 games Seven goals, six assists, four power play points, only 19 shots, though. So he was scoring on 37% of his shots. Maybe I buried the lead there with the fact that before this drought, he was putting up meaningful production recently. And so that's a reason why you should be interested in him. I, If I had the empty roster space, I think I would go ahead since he is playing Monday, Tuesday, and just flip him in there and see what he can do. Well, like, let's say you had the empty roster space, but you also had all of those Carolina guys available. Like, do you take Braden Point over someone like, say, an Elias Lindholm or a Sebastian Ajo for at least the first two games of the week, and then you could reassess after that? I mean, it's like with Kucherov. I don't know if you could say the same value comes with playing with Jeff Skinner. I think I'd prefer a Carolina guy, since they're also playing the first two games of the week. So I'll take the more proven entity plus... I don't really know that we have total clarity on which centers are going to be out for how long. So Braden Point might not even get significant time with Kucherov. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, yeah, go with a safer bet. Maybe Braden Point gets bumped right away. But if you could add him, and if you see like in the tweets of the day from the beat writers that he's still playing on the top line, top power play, that obviously makes him at least worth considering. I was going to mention that Ryan Spooner is out indefinitely with a concussion, but then I just read today that he is skating with the team. So who knows if he'll be back soon. We talked about Ryan Spooner on the Bruins last week, and we were saying how he's still in a good spot. He's putting up some points. He's still on the top power play. With him out, that third line that we talked about last week with Stafford and Vetrano, both of those guys ended up spending some time on line two with Krejci and Pasternak. So it's interesting what Boston is doing with this Spooner injury. They're giving both of the remaining line three guys an opportunity to play on line two. Anyway, but Vetrano hasn't been doing much lately. Stafford, though, has scored in two straight games and has four points in four games with Boston. We brought him up last week 
after he had been acquired, it's looking like maybe he can be a bit more offensive with the team, or maybe it's just too small of a sample size. I wonder at this point with Spooner out, if that makes you more interested in taking a flyer on a Drew Stafford or maybe a Frank Vetrano. Obviously it's hard to know since we don't know which one of them is going to get onto that second line. Yeah, it is hard. Uh, So I'm not going to try and really guess on who really gets to be the big benefactor. It is something worth watching. You mentioned Drew Stafford. Elon, he has 4.16 shots since joining the Bruins. Two goals, two assists. He's averaging 15 minutes per game as a Bruin, which is about 90 seconds more per game than he was getting as a Jet. And one more guy I'll mention, the aforementioned David Krejci, the center of the second line, he's also benefited from Spooner being injured as he's taken Spooner's spot on the first power play with Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak, and Tori Krug. I kind of don't get why Krejci just isn't there all the time. Like, isn't he a better player than Ryan Spooner? But obviously, I'm not running a hockey team here. But Krejci, he's been having a decent season, I guess. He has 46 points in 68 games, which is a 55-point pace. I would have expected more from him. I was hoping for more like a 60 plus point pace for the time that he's healthy and he's been healthy and putting up a 55 point pace, which is like not droppable in the league where I have him, but also not like especially exciting. I wonder if, you know, I guess we don't know how long it'll be until Spooner comes back, but I feel like maybe he could push for 60 points if he were to stay on the top power play. I wonder if he'll do anything to earn that spot and keep it when Spooner comes back. Yeah, again, wait and see. We'll see what happens with the lineup. He has provided pretty good value, though. Like, he's still producing at a 55-point pace, and he's actually down two minutes of total ice time per game with 30 seconds of those two minutes coming off of his power play time. So with some extra power play time back with him, uh, yeah, maybe he could produce at a 60-point pace or more. We know he's a really good player. I think it does come down to opportunity. Okay, so let's get out of these injuries. Let's go to some hot streaks. Now, I brought up last week that Jordan Wheel was playing on the top line in Philly with Giroux and Simmons, and I feel like I just downplayed it. I was like, yeah, and probably, like, that's not going to last, obviously. But maybe that was a mistake. He's he's still been on that top line. He stayed there all week, and he has three points in his last three games, 15 shots in his last five games. So he's taking shots. He's getting some points. He's playing with amazing players. Who is Jordan Wheel, Brian? Like, I don't even, I'd never heard of him. I I know maybe I'm not the brightest hockey mind out there knowing every single no-name player until they start putting up points or playing on a decent line. But like, is he a noteworthy person? And is he the type of person we could maybe expect to go on a run if he could stay there? There's no doubt the streaky wheel got a lease longer on that top line than we might have expected. Who is Jordan Wheel? He was drafted third round in 2010 by the Kings. And he was a point-per-game player in Manchester with their AHL affiliate in his second and third pro seasons, including some big contributions during their Calder Cup run in 2015. And then the Kings traded him to Philadelphia in the trade that saw Luke Shen and Vinny LeCavalier sent the other way last January. Uh, But it didn't mean much for Wheel. He was injured and scratched in all but 14 games last year, and he did nothing in them. And then this year, he's a point-per-game guy again in the AHL. And now he's finally getting a good look with the big club. Normally, I might say it's not really much of a shock to see that if a guy sticks on the top line in Philadelphia that he can produce, but we've seen guys like Shannon Raffle fail there before. But the wrinkle here is that Wheel is playing with Giroux and Simmons, and those two aforementioned players struggled sometimes alongside Giroux and Voracek. So we'll definitely be watching the next few Flyers games with interest as we try to answer the question, is the streaky wheel just a tease? There's a chance that he might be. There's a chance he can keep going. Elon, I have a question for you. If Would you prefer a flyer on wheel or a flyer on point 
if he's staying with Kucherov. Well, I mean, I could make the pun joke here, but oh, a flyer on a flyer. But I guess you're sort of taking care of that with these wheeled jokes. Like, I don't know what kind of like dad you've turned into also with the straight to heck. So wheel or Braden points? I think I'd go with Jordan Wheel for the week. I haven't checked the schedule for either of them. I guess actually Philly, well, okay, Tampa plays Monday, Tuesday. Can I hedge and be like, take point for Monday, Tuesday, and then switch to Jordan Wheel for Wednesday, Thursday. And then you could, I guess, reassess then for over the weekend who you want to play. That way you could get four starts out of that roster spot for the first four games of the week and then figure it out from there. If I had to pick one, I think I'd go Jordan Wheel just because he's actually producing right now. And I think, there's no reason why he should get bumped aside from they just changed their mind as opposed to maybe these Tampa lines can get shaken up, like you said. So I think I'll say wheel, but like, you know, they both are guys that are interesting because they're on good lines, but wouldn't interest me otherwise. Yeah, exactly. They're two guys. You, you're just going for the guy that you think is going to stay in their good situation for longer. Right now, I agree, Elon. It looks like wheel until we get a little more injury news out of Tampa and see how the lines shake out when they get back into action on Monday. Okay, so another no-name guy on a line with superstars is Tom Wilson in Washington, who was playing with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov in the last game. That was one of the lines, and they were going with Backstrom, Johansson, and Oshie, making up the other half of the top six. I guess Washington is slumping a bit lately. Alex Ovechkin specifically is really snake-bitten right now, unless you're going to say it's something worse than that. But he's gone nine straight games without a goal, and he hasn't scored an even-strength goal since January 31st. So maybe, I don't know if like putting him with Tom Wilson is going to change that, or I don't know exactly what they're doing here. But I feel like you got to at least take a look at Tom Wilson playing with Ovechkin. He doesn't have many points to show for his opportunity just yet. Like, he has one assist in his last six games. But if you need hits and the chance for a point, he could be a nice option to look at. Tom Wilson does throw the body around. And he's had a couple of really big hit games lately. Like he had nine hits versus Philly and eight games versus San Jose over the past couple of weeks. And then he gets like a solid three or more in all of the other games. So I don't know you could in a league that counts hits. I think I might even want Tom Wilson all over those other guys, just because I feel like there's an okay chance that he could get a point. And regardless, he'll give you a lot of hits. Yeah, I agree. We've seen him go down the depth chart as fast as he's risen before though. So that's something to keep an eye on. If you add him to your roster, you really have to make sure that he is playing where you think he's playing every single night. But okay, let's dig a little bit deeper into Alex Ovechkin. Like, what is going on with him? Like, I've already given you the stats of how he's not scoring goals anymore. We talked about on a previous episode recently how he isn't shooting as much. He even had some zero-shot games, which were supposed to be very rare for him. Are we expecting an Ovechkin bounce back? And is he going to have, like, a huge fantasy playoffs? I feel like that's the easy answer to say he will. If you're in a league where you're still allowed to make trades, if there's no trade deadline or something, I feel like now would be a great time to buy low on Alex Ovechkin. Seems like, you know, why not? He's Alex Ovechkin. But, like, let me know if I'm missing something. Like, should I be concerned about this guy for this year and, like, for the future? I was thinking of him as, like, a solid keeper for, like, the next five years at least. But all of a sudden now we had this no-shot game and now, like, a lack of goals recently. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, well, at least... Ovechkin hasn't had any more zero-shot games since we last spoke about him, though we did come awful close with a one-shot game. He is averaging four shots per game since that last goose egg in the shots column, but he still has zero goals on his last 28 shots. One promising sign has been that his ice time has been up closer to 20 minutes recently, which is more in line with past seasons than the less than 18 and a half minutes that he's been averaging so far this season. So that's nice. Uh, he's still hitting also. So you've got that. 
you know, it just kind of sucks to have to dig like this for silver linings about Alex Ovechkin. I never thought we'd be here, but yeah, here we are. Uh, it's a great buy low time if you're in a league with a frustrated Ovechkin owner, although I'm sure they're just banking on things getting better in the playoffs. I don't know that they will, except this extra ice time does bode well. Uh, so maybe this is a trade you can make in the offseason. Just be careful how much you offer up if you are going to try and buy low now. You still need to remember that Ovechkin is in decline. Like this is a pattern. This is a trend. It's not just a one-off, weird, unlucky situation. And so you shouldn't be paying a prime OV price when you make your offer. Yeah, so I guess you could tweet at us all throughout the summer. We'll still be active. Let us know what Dynasty League trades you're offering or getting offered for Alex Ovechkin. I guess I should mention, since we're on Washington, that Kevin Shattenkirk is suspended for two games because of some hit he did yesterday. Like, ugh, what? Like, right over the fantasy playoffs, this guy gets suspended? I guess the only silver lining here is, I guess that's good for John Carlson, who hasn't been seeing any power play time at all for the Capitals over the last few games. And he had, like, no shots on goal or points this week. I think like, it has been really bad for John Carlson since Shattenkirk returned. I think at first when they got him, he was doing okay. We talked about last week how Carlson was still putting up some shots, but he's totally gone dry. Maybe now he'll be able to do something with Shattenkirk suspended, but overall, just like a bad situation for the Shattenkirk owners. Yeah, in our joint pool, we happen to own both those guys. So uh, unfortunately, we lose the top power play guy on Washington, but we have presumptively the next power play guy on Washington. And Elon, just circling back to that OV trade talk, I feel like a lot of our listeners are very savvy. They might be the ones who own Ovechkin, in which case, if you can sell him for a prime Ovechkin price and you don't think you're going to be able to do the same in the summer, huh, I don't know. I felt like I was ready to say it. I felt like I was ready to sell. Uh, I don't know if I can finish that sentence. So it's just something that you should really think about and definitely ask us on Twitter or if you're a patron in the Facebook group and we will give you our best advice. Promise. Brian, let's say you're in a keeper league and you're offered Brent Burns for Alex Ovechkin. Who do you want? Bangers and mash league. Well, Brent Burns also, I mean, he hasn't regressed the way we expected he might do to age. I still expect it to come. I just don't know when. Uh, oh, that's a really tough one. And I wasn't just saying Sebastian Aho's name. Uh, between Burns and Ovechkin, I can't decide. Who would you? Who would you putting me on the spot like this? I know. <laughs> Maybe it's not time for this. People need to focus on the here and now. Can I just like avoid the question? I, I mean, right now, I feel like you want Brent Burns, especially because of the value of yeah. a replacement for a defense. And he takes more shots. Usually Ovechkin's thing is he gives you the most shots in the league. That's now Brent Burns. Uh, but he is Ovechkin. I don't know. Obviously, you can't go too wrong with either of those guys. Clearly, we're not ready to let go of Prime Ovechkin, even if he might be gone. So you're going to have to have some stones if you want to make a move around him, which clearly, Elon, we do not have yet. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. Well, we have Ovechkin, actually, in our uh, joint league, so maybe we can consider trying to move him. But okay, let's go to some more hot streaks. Sam Gagne is on another hot run like he was at the beginning of the season. And you'll notice a pattern here. I'm talking. I'm not talking. I'm not going to waste your guys' time talking about hot streaks of players who are already owned, for sure. There's no point. I want to help you with some ads that you could potentially think of making for your fantasy hockey playoffs. So I'm mentioning Sam Gagne. You know, at the beginning of the season, he was close to a point per game guy when everyone on Columbus was getting a ton of points. I'm sure by now he's been dropped in a lot of leagues, but he had two assists yesterday versus Buffalo, extending his point streak to five games. 
three goals and four assists in that span over five games. Two of the goals in his last five games have been power play goals, which is actually surprising considering he's been seeing less than 30% of the team's power play time over the past couple of games. So he's been even off the top power play. But if you look at Washington's power play for the last game or two, like they're really shaking things up a lot. So it's hard to really get a sense of who's there. But it is clear that Sam Gagne has been playing on line three on the Blue Jackets with Oliver Bjorkstrand, who we highlighted before as being someone you wanted to watch. And I think he's been living up to it. And then Scott Hartnell. So that's been a decent line three. Bjorkstrand himself, he has three goals and one assist in his last four games. He had six shots yesterday. Plus, actually, Bjorkstrand had over 50% of the power play time in his last three games. So it looks like a lot of different units are being used. I'm not sure what to tell you about power play time. But overall, both Sam Gagne and Oliver Bjorkstrand are producing. And if they're available in your league, you got to take a look, Brian. I think I like both of these guys over a Braden Point, especially Oliver Bjorkstrand, even though actually it's Sam Gagne who's on the hotter streak. Yeah, I think I would also prefer them, although schedule, again, like we're at the point where schedule really matters. And if you have a player who's going to be sitting on a busy night, you need to figure out if you can get an extra two games or so from somebody in free agency or the other guys you're considering. The thing about Gagne, though, is he's still off the top unit, which is something to consider. I mean, power play unit. Of course, he was putting up great points when he was on that top unit. It's nice that he's producing again. I just don't know that we're back to what we saw from the start of the season. Bjorkstrand also doing well. They both actually have nearly identical numbers across the board. Ice time, everything. Uh, Gagne's three power play points are essentially the difference between the two, plus a couple shots in his favor. So I guess I take Gagne, then Bjorkstrand, and then those flyer guys. You know, Sam Gagne... His highest ever points in his career came in his first season when he had 49 points for the Oilers. And ever since then, he's always been below. This year, he has 43 points with still, I guess, like 15 games or so to go. It'll be interesting to see if he could get another seven points and break his record. So something to watch for Sam Gagne. Uh, Okay, another hot streak. Okay, one guy who probably is owned, but I just had to throw it out there. Josh Bailey has been so awesome this season. He had three assists versus Vancouver on Thursday. He now has 49 points in 67 games on the season. He's already blown past his career high of 41 points. Last year, he only had 32 points in 81 games, and now he already has 49 points and still going. He's probably going to get like between 55 and 60 points. I'm definitely looking forward, but I just want to put a pin in it, Brian. I'm going to want to discuss over the summer if this was a fluke for Josh Bailey or if we should be drafting him as a 60-point guy going into next year. I wonder if he's the Nick Felino from a couple of years ago, a guy who was never doing anything, then all of a sudden had a huge year, and then we have to decide whether he's going to be able to do it again or whether he's going to regress back to how he was before. But yeah, very interesting. But okay, since we're on the Islanders, I do want to give you one tidbit. Andrew Ladd is on a three-game point streak, maybe still available in your leagues. He's such a tough guy to call because he was such a disappointment. But every once in a while, he's putting up little spurts. So I'd be curious to know if you think he should be added to the list of all the you know marginal guys we've mentioned that you might want to stream over the next week. Ladd has not really had any consistent run this year. It's funny, I'm usually the one who points out his streaks. I've wanted him to succeed all year. He hasn't. He's still not getting really any significantly better deployment than he has been in the past. So I'm still pretty cool to him. He's definitely below the Columbus guys. Maybe if you want ahead of those flyers, uh, Josh Bailey has been, you're right, Elon, totally under the radar with Anders Lee being the Tavares line mate, who's gotten the most attention this year. But Bailey has really been keeping pace all along longer than I thought he would because he'd shown some promise over the years. I actually can't believe I looked it up. This is already his ninth year in the league. I feel like I remember his first few were sometime around there. He had these short bursts and it was like, oh man, this guy's going to be the next big top line or top six producer for the Islanders, but he never sustained it for long enough to make it happen. 
but this year he's seeing more quality and quantity in his power play time. And that's played a big part of his success. He's already at 10 power play points, which is one off his career high of 11 power play points all the way back from his rookie season. He's seeing a majority share of the Isles power play time for the first time in at least five seasons, as far as the data goes back that I had access to in researching the show. But if I had to guess, it goes back further than the last five seasons. So it's crazy if he's a free agent in your league. If he is, go get him. There's no reason. And because I imagine Andrews Lee is owned in your league. So you should go get Josh Bailey. Nick Foligno, well, he broke out in his eighth year. Elon, this is Bailey's ninth, so I don't know it's the same thing. Also remember that Nick Foligno fell back down to 37 points the following year. So I don't know. uh, I don't really know how to handle the whole Nick Foligno thing still. Like Bailey's on-ice shooting percentage is a little higher this year, but not as dramatically higher as Foligno's was during his breakout season. I feel like Foligno had a world-beating Ryan Johansson, and now Josh Bailey has John Tavares. That's probably the straw that serves the drink. Not probably, it is. So we'll see where Bailey slots in next year, where Tavares slots in. I don't know how to draft him for next year. We'll definitely get to that in the summer series. Okay, so I guess you were being sarcastic when you said that my analogy was off because one had played eight seasons and one had played nine seasons. Yes. I thought it was pretty good. I thought you'd be happy or proud of me that I came up with that one. Well, actually, my notes say Nick Foligno in what sense? Because <laughs> I, oh. I didn't, I, I get what you're saying. As a guy who had done nothing or been like a fringe producer for a long time and then suddenly breaks out. One thing we should make sure to point out, by the way, is that Bailey does not have the hits to be Nick Foligno. So he's not as exciting as a multi-cat guy that way. But I get what you're saying, Elon, as a guy who'd been in the league for so long doing nothing, suddenly gets some great deployment and is making the most of it. So should we expect that John Tavares will get traded to Nashville for a defenseman? next year and then that will complete the saga of josh bailey being like nick felino okay i okay let's go to some more hot actually no enough hot streaks let's talk about some cold streaks let's end the show on a more down note we have to mention this guy i think it might this is gonna be the first time i've ever said this this is gonna be a first for keeping carlson i'm gonna say that i think it might be time for you to drop Corey schneider if you're in a one-year league if you're in a keeper league who even knows what to do with this guy but he has lost eight games in a row he has an 881 save percentage in six games over his last two weeks, a 908 save percentage over the past month, only a 911 save percentage on the season. So, like, he's been especially bad lately, but he hasn't been that good all throughout the year. We talked about him, you know, back in January about a slow start, and we were saying, uh, you know, don't worry about him. He'll bounce back. He'll be fine. He's Corey Schneider. But, like, at this point, you're in your playoffs. You have to, you know, make take a stand. Make a decision. Decide if you're going to roll with this guy. A lot of people in the chat room right here are saying, Dave from Stream Scheme is saying, nope, disagree. Okay, we'll see. All I'm going to tell you is that New Jersey can't win games, and Schneider is not doing well at stopping pucks. So I feel like I'd be nervous to have him, especially if you have decent goalies in free agency. We had a patron, I believe it's Brady, in the Facebook group. He asked the group if he should drop Schneider for Brian Elliott last week, and the majority of us said yes. I'm very happy that I said yes. And it turned out to be a good move, at least for last week. Elliot's been great. Calgary's on this great streak, while Schneider continues to lose and get blown up. So, like, it was a tough decision, obviously. It's tough to drop a guy like Corey Schneider. And so maybe this is too extreme of a take, but I feel like especially if you have another goalie available for you or if you don't need the starts from Corey Schneider, I wonder if it's time to call him a snoozer. Like, I wonder if he's even, like, a better owner than, like, a Mike Smith or a Calvin Pickard, who's actually been really good over the last month. Like, that's where I am right now with Corey Schneider. Brian, you could talk me off the ledge now if you want. I mean, I don't have him. doesn't matter to me. 
I'm just saying I'm looking at this guy's numbers. I'm not seeing why you need to hang on to him for the rest of the season. So I'm going to reframe it slightly instead of you going way back and saying he's a 9-11 on the season or whatever it was you said. Prior to these six games where he's been poor, he played 18 games and had a 9-5-3 record with a 9-32 save percentage. So it hasn't all been doom and gloom for him. He's had a good run this season. Of course, we expect more from Corey Schneider than to just be able to say he had a good run at some point. So point definitely taken. Uh, New Jersey also looks ready to tank. So it it's time to consider parting ways with Corey Schneider. Of course, he's great for quantity if you need games started or if you need saves or like he can still put up good save percentage games. And Elon, I, I definitely, one part I don't agree with is your assessment of Schneider against Smith and Pickard. I think Smith and Pickard are both worse goalies who are on two worse teams than New Jersey. And both those teams are also tanking quite hard as New Jersey might be, but I still like Schneider the most of those three. Okay, well, let, let's track this. I'll be curious. At the end of the season, let's see Smith, Pickard, and Corey Schneider. If Corey Schneider really stands out. I'm not saying that those guys are better than him, by the way. I'm just saying I kind of see them as in the same category at this point. Guys that I can't really rely on for great numbers, and I don't expect their teams to win. Uh, I'm going to throw out a random hot streak here. Montreal's in the middle of the game. I noticed that Brandon Gallagher got an assist, which kind of infuriates me because I held him so long in the couple, and he did nothing for me. And I finally dropped him before I, like, petered out of of the league and got eliminated but uh he's actually doing good so he has an assist today like i said and six shots on goal and if you look at his last few games he's been taking a lot of shots he had three shots against calgary then he had a seven shot game against vancouver he had three shots the game before that against the rangers so he's taking a ton of shots nice to finally see him get on the score sheet but hey if he's been dropped in your league which i think he might have been Maybe time to watch Brendan Gallagher. But back on the cold streak side, Brian, I wanted to end the show in L.A. I think, speaking of snoozers, time to let go of Tyler Toffoli. I know I brought him up before a couple weeks ago when I was talking about Tanner Pearson, saying how well Pearson was doing. And I said the hot take at the time that I'd rather Pearson than Toffoli. But, like, things have gotten worse. Like, even though, as I say this, like, Toffoli, he had an assist yesterday. But it was only on 11 minutes and 41 seconds of ice time. He also hasn't been seeing time on either of the top power play units. Like, he's a guy who used to be on the top power play. Now you're not seeing Tyler Toffoli on PP1 or PP2, at least in the last couple of games. He's still playing on a line with Tanner Pearson and Jeff Carter, but not doing very much with the opportunity. Of course, now that I'm saying this, as long as he's in the top six, like he has the opportunity to get some points. And Jeff Carter definitely gets a lot of points. But I'd say now that Tyler Toffoli is off the power play completely, I'm going to make another bold claim. I'm going to go even farther than saying I'd rather have Tanner Pearson than Toffoli. I'm going to now say I'd also rather have top line Jerome Iginla than Tyler Toffoli. He's on the second power play, at least and, of course, on the top line with Andre Kopitar and Marion Gabrick for, like, an amazing line from 10 years ago. Uh, but at least, again, like I said, he's getting power play time. And he has 11 shots in his last three games. Again, not taking so many shots. He seems like the kind of guy I'd be okay having in my bottom roster spot. I'd be very concerned if I had Tyler Toffoli literally not getting any power play time. I don't like that. No, not at all. His power play time has disappeared. His ice time has gone down from the start of the year. He is playing with Jeff Carter and Tanner Pearson, though, so if you think they're going to do well, you would think that he could get some points just by virtue of playing with them, if not on his own volition. It's been a really, really rough year. He's definitely far from the 58-point pace he had last season, and uh, I've been wrong about him. So while I'm definitely ready to say Tanner Pearson, I was wrong about saying Toffoli over him, even though I still don't know that Toffoli is droppable. I guess he is. If you're in dire straits, it's a whole other level to say Jerome McGinley 
can be worth more than Tyler Toffoli. Oh, it is hard. I really like Toffoli. And I went to great lengths last year to underscore just how great his accomplishment was to get near 60 points as an LA King. And then also emphasize how we can't expect him to do it again. But I still thought like 55 was definitely possible. 50 was a gimme. Doesn't look like he couldn't even get there, perhaps. Yeah, like maybe I'm going too far out on a limb. Dave said here in the chat, someone get the fire extinguisher. Elon's takes are on fire. And then Matthew quickly responded, he's going to get burned by them. That's fair. Like, but I'm not going to be one of these hockey analysts that just says random things and then isn't held accountable for them. I'll come back next week. Corey Schneider has a good week of Tyler Toffoli. You know, I'll apologize. I'll reimburse everyone for their hockey pool money that they have lost. You know, they would have won their chance. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. That could be like thousands of dollars. Anyway, uh, I'm trying my best here. These are my opinions right now. We'll see how it goes. Elon Dabrowski. He's trying his best here. (laughs) But it is true. A lot of hockey analysts, I find, sometimes I'm watching games and I see them say things and it's like, that's totally going to be, you know, the the keys to the game, this is going to have to happen and that doesn't happen and the team still wins the game. It's like, well, aren't you going to come back and say how you were wrong about your keys to the game? Never do they say that. But on Keeping Carlson, we hold ourselves accountable when we make the prediction and it doesn't come true. But hopefully my predictions will come true and will have helped you a lot this week. Good luck to everyone in your fantasy hockey playoffs. If you're still alive, thank you so much for listening. We're, we've hit the end of the show, so I'll just say my my goodbyes and all the things I like to say. So you could tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. You could give us a five-star review on iTunes. There's our patron program. I gotta mention the patron program. I feel like I don't say it enough. It's so fun. And, and maybe some of you will say, actually, you say it way too much. You say it every freaking week. But we have really nice people that are donating $5 a month to the podcast. And in exchange, I think they're getting a lot of value. You have access to our patron-only Facebook group where you could ask fancy hockey questions, get answers not only from Brian and myself and much, you know, more in-depth answers than what we would give on Twitter for obvious reasons, but also you're getting answers from all of the smart patrons. Plus, you get your monthly patron cast. The last patron cast, we talked about all the trades and the trade deadline. There's going to be another one at the end of this month. Always a lot of fun. It's a podcast just for the patrons. Plus, now... Like I said, Dave here in the chat room, he makes Stream Scheme every week, his own podcast, which we put at the end. We put the inaugural episode at the end of one of our episodes a couple weeks back. That's available for the patrons. He links to his Stream Scheme episodes every week. So you get that. And then just you're helping the podcast that you like. So I don't know. The season's almost over. Sign up for a month if you're interested. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I don't mean to sound beggy. Like if you don't want to, it's okay. We can still be friends. You can still tweet at us. I'll answer your questions. My, my life is fine. Brian's life is fine. But I've probably gone on too long about this. So why don't we cue the outro music? And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? Whenever you end a spiel with my life is fine, Brian's life is fine. You've definitely (laughs) gone pretty deep into a ramble. This episode of the Keeping Carlton Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest patron, Jameer. Welcome aboard. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Viz, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Dauber Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. Hopefully all of you listening will still be in contention so that you could jump back in and listen next week, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, if you want to join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live. We'll see you then. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>